Sunday night is always a bit of a challenge in terms of thinking about what to preach. I like to use Sunday nights um, for a, a textual series, if possible, and uh, the challenge there is not so much the text, but just trying to make sure you have an amount of text that reasonably covers the length of the year. Uh, there are a few interruptions here and there, but um, I'm very excited for this one. Uh, we've been in the New Testament for the last several years, and I decided to go old school, Old Testament, uh, for the, the uh series we're in will be in on Sunday nights at Northside. So I'm grateful that you're here, and I would encourage you to invite others if they have not been to Sunday nights in a while. A good opportunity, especially as we not begin this series. This one is will not only be textual, but practical and hopefully helpful, because I think that's what it's designed, the text was designed to be. Uh, we are going to begin this series that I'm calling Walking in Wisdom, and it's going to be a series on the book of Proverbs, and uh, I've, I'm mapping out what we're doing through the year. Uh, what we're going to do is spend the first month kind of laying some foundational work, uh, but then this will not be a, you know, we're going to go through verse 1, and verse 2, and verse 3, and verse 4, and verse 5, because when you go through the book of Proverbs, there's as you it kind of jumps around all over. So my goal is to... Uh, a group the Proverbs together and then, uh, you know, weed out any duplication where things are close, but kind of get, uh, we'll have a, a topical evening, if you will, and it will be all the Proverbs on that subject. So I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, I hope you are. I know preachers get more excited about their series than necessarily their audience does, but I hope that you uh, will join us not just tonight, but uh, for all the Sunday nights in 2020. You were going to uh, look at Proverbs because, in my estimation, Proverbs is a gold mine. Uh, once had a very successful businessman tell me that he believed if most people who wanted to go into business would simply study the book of Proverbs, uh, they would be much more successful than they are. Uh, rooted in the wisdom is very practical things, not only in business, but in all areas of life. Uh, we're going to think about these gems of wisdom, and then we're going to seek to apply them. And I'll talk to you at, at the end of the sermon, but I'm sort of in laboratory mode with uh, Sunday night, trying to try some different things to see uh, what, uh, and I have an idea that I think will go well along with the idea of walking in wisdom. I remember my grandpa Levering, uh, I spent a lot of time with him in his wood shop. And they, he and Grandma owned a hardware store in Douglas, and I spent a lot of time there as well. And Grandpa was a, a smart guy. He was, he was wise. He just had very practical, common-sense kind of wisdom. And I don't remember what in particular I was asking Grandpa about, but I was ask, asking him a lot of questions. I was very curious about what he was trying to do. It may have been something simple like, sharpening a chainsaw blade. And I was watching him do that, and I was asking how that worked and how he did that and what, what the process was. Or it may have been in his wood shop as he was building a cabinet or a piece of beautiful furniture, and I was asking him what his, what his process was. And, and at one point, I kind of sheepishly said, Grandpa, I'm sorry I'm asking all these questions. And Grandpa said to me, Toby, you don't ever apologize for asking questions. There's no such thing as a dumb question if you're sincerely wanting to know. If you're sincerely trying to learn, there is no such thing as a dumb question. 
Now, understand that that was a caveat. There, there are such things as dumb questions. Okay. There are people who genuinely do not want to learn and don't care to know and don't, are just asking for other reasons. But if you're genuinely trying to learn and grow in wisdom, there's no such thing as a dumb question. As, as we think about the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is God answering a request of Solomon for wisdom. It's, it's the result of God's answer to Solomon, who wrote most of the book. And I, I just love this idea that that started with, with the great humility of Solomon saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a clue here. I, I watch Dad do it, but, but I'm not Dad. God, can you help me? Can you show me? Can you give me wisdom? Because he asked for that. Because he asked for wisdom, God awarded him not only wisdom, but all the blessings that come with wisdom. I think, I believe, that if we truly desire wisdom and seek it out, God will bless us not only with wisdom, but with all the blessings that come along with wisdom. If there's anything you ask for, for, for from God, in my opinion, one of the greatest things you can ask for is wisdom. As we begin this series, uh, as I said, I want to lay some, some foundation work by hopefully answering a few questions that you might have. And if you don't have those questions, or maybe you, because you're a, you know, a studied person, you may know the answers, and that's fine. But we're going to go through some, some questions, and again, this is part of laying the groundwork. First of all, who wrote Proverbs? Now, I already said the answer. Um, in, in regard to who wrote it, the, the Proverbs is kind of clear, and you'll need your Bible open if you're here on Sunday night, especially Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, again, the Proverbs of Solomon. So it, it seems like Solomon was the author, and indeed he was for much of it. First Kings chapter 4, verse 29 through 32 gives us a little bit of insight as to why Solomon, uh, what caused him to write these Proverbs, 1 Kings chapter nine, uh, First Kings chapter 4, excuse me, uh, starting verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all of the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite, the Heman, uh, the Kalkal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon. To the hyssop that grows out of the wall, he spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard his wisdom. Undoubtedly, without question, God answered Solomon's request. The wisdom was given to Solomon because he asked. When you think about that, as we study the book of Proverbs, I want you to think that when you are reading the book of Proverbs, he extends the same gift to you. Consider that Solomon asked God for wisdom. God gave it to him in abundance. 
so that not only was Solomon's wisdom understood and known throughout all of Israel and the kingdom of God, but all extending outside of the kingdom of God. People came to Solomon to hear what he had to say about all matters, not just about God. Solomon wrote over 3,000 Proverbs, and some of those are captured in this very book. So as we open the book of Proverbs, we're hearing God's wisdom, God's answer to Solomon's humble request for wisdom. Now, Solomon was probably not the exclusive author of all the parts of Proverbs. We'll turn to some other verses you're following along, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 17. Proverbs twenty-two seventeen. 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. This, this phrase here is the words of the wise. Uh, this is uh, important. When I read over that 22 17, I thought, well, oh, he's just talking about incline your ear to wise people. I think that's good advice. But there, this saying, the words of the wise, speaks to a certain type of person. Turn to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 23. These also are sayings of the wise. Uh, chapter 30, verse 1. The words of Agur, son of Jacob, the oracle. The oracle there is a, an interesting word. Uh, we'll talk about that. The, uh, the words of, church, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 31. I need to quote it before I go there. Proverbs chapter 31, the, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. See, uh, there were a few other authors involved in Proverbs, not just Solomon himself. So the answer to the question is who wrote it? Solomon, mostly. But there were other people involved. We'll talk about how that probably happened. To answer that, the second question, when was it written? Well, we know uh, when the United Kingdom was. We know the reigns of each of those kings and, and using that information, we can say that it was probably written around 970 years before Jesus, during uh, the period of the unified kingdom. Now, when it was written and when the book, as we consider it now, was compiled are two very different dates. Uh, if you care to, um, verse, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 25 Verse 1, Proverbs 25, verse 1. These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. So very likely, Solomon had written these, these uh, Proverbs down. But uh, around 700 B.C., almost 300 years later, uh, Hezekiah's wise men came and, and assembled the Proverbs of Solomon. Now, we don't have them all. There was over 3,000 that were written. Maybe some were lost. Maybe some uh, they didn't include. We trust God in that process. But the men of Hezekiah, the wise men that he trusted, uh, were uh, at one point entrusted to put this all together in a, in a form of a book. 
in further study, it's likely that the sayings of the wise, uh, the sayings of King of Agur and Lemuel, King Lemuel, were added to Solomon's Proverbs uh, to produce the full book. So when we say who wrote it, well, Solomon mostly, because there were some extra, probably added as, uh, and again, we, we still believe it was all divinely inspired, but it was uh, not just Solomon's Proverbs that are included. When you are uh, quoting that well-known uh, Proverbs 31 woman, uh, that is not a King Solomon proverb. So uh, just as we understand, mostly uh, Solomon, but there were a few other authors in there. And it was probably originally written when Solomon reigned, and it was another couple hundred years or so before the book was compiled. Let's talk about wisdom literature There are different genres, if you understand the Bible, and uh, probably Sunday Night Crowd does. Uh, There's history, there's prophecy, there's uh, these different uh, genres in the book. The the word Bible simply means books, a collection of books. Have you ever written a bibliography on a paper? It's all of the sources that you use to come about your conclusions in the paper. So a Bible, although it's a book, it's really a collection of books And part of one of the the genres or one of the types of literature that is in the scriptures is wisdom literature. The Jews called uh, the Old Testament, they didn't call it the Old Testament, to them it was the Testament. It was the law, the prophets, and the writings. And the prophets, of course, were speaking of prophecy, the the, uh, the, the, the people that were involved in the process. The, The prophets dealt with prophecy, the priests dealt with the law, The writings were that wisdom literature, and they were handled by what we would call the wise men. Writings, as we would consider them, are five books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Uh, It's kind of interesting as you read through uh, those books. Proverbs has a bit more of an optimistic, upward, applicable uh, bent to it, as does Song of Songs. Of course, entirely different subject. I don't have enough courage to preach on Song of Songs yet. Job and Ecclesiastes has a little bit more of a negative bent to it. So, uh, but, but all of those are, uh, uh, and, and of course the book of Psalms, are considered, a, are considered wisdom literature. And the book of Psalms, of course, has both. Psalms, uh, if it weren't so long, I, I would love to do a series called The Playlist, God's Playlist, because that's exactly what it is. It's all of these songs, and you know how you guys have certain kinds of songs you play when you're in a good mood, and certain kind of songs you play when you're ready to get excited and, and jazzed up for something, and certain kinds of songs when you're just bummed out and you just want to sit in your room and, and, and be sad. Okay, there's all different songs for your playlist, right? Well, God's got his own playlist in the book of Psalms, and there's 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 great ones, and there's well-known ones, and there's sad ones, and all of that. So wisdom literature. I want to talk about wise men for just a second, Uh, because when we think of wise men, we typically think of the nativity story, and that's about the only time we think of it. Wise men, or sages, were an important part of this culture. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 18, if you care to follow along, or maybe you just don't trust the preacher... Go to Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 18. Um, 
and, and this is just, I'm not going to go through the whole context here. It's not really the point, just to, just to get to one verse that gives us some insight. Verse 18 of chapter 18 of Jeremiah. Then they said, come, let us make plots against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor the counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with a tongue, and let us not pay attention to any of his words. Now, ignoring the whole story there, and there's much more lesson there, the, the point was simply to bring to your attention this idea that there were prophets, there were priests, and there were wa- the wise. And wise men, as near as I can, uh, in, in my study, understand, wise men did two things. The wise men were the ones who instructed the kings. They were the one who, who had wisdom, clearly were blessed with wisdom and knowledge and understanding and depth of insight. These were the men that you wanted around the king. They had one other job, and sometimes they did both or one or the other, but the, the other job of the wise men was to instruct the young. So instructing the young and speaking to the kings, this was the job of the wise men. And so Hezekiah's men who surrounded him gave him counsel. Hezekiah was a good king. He said, hey, let's go back and, and pull out all of Solomon's wisdom and write that down somewhere. And so they did. They assembled Solomon's Proverbs. That was what, and of course, really no better person for the task than the men who were wise. The writings that they either assembled or wrote I would boil down, this is very oversimplified, I realize, but the PowerPoint slide is only so large. The writings were considered generally true observations about God, godly living, and how life works. Now, generally true is the, is the important part of that definition. Because if we go through Proverbs, we understand that these are truisms that are generally applied. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. Let's give an example here. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. Proverbs 10, verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord brings, uh, prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Now, is that always true? Is that universally true? No, not always. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. I know people who feared the Lord, who loved the Lord very much, and died very young. But the years of the wicked shall be short. I've known some wicked people who lived a long time. Okay? There are exceptions to that rule. This is a general truism that when we do what God wants, and we seek God, and we fear Him in our hearts, and we revere Him with our hearts and our lives... Generally speaking, your life will be longer and fuller and richer, but the years of the wicked will be short. Now, it could be speaking to uh, length of life, and certainly we know people who have lived hard lives and die very young. But generally speaking, if you live life outside of God, even the time that you have will be short, and you will not be remembered long. Okay, This is a general truism of life. When you read through Proverbs, you will note that there are many times you think, well, well, that's true, but what about this, and what about that, and what about this person? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 is probably the best known one. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. 
Now, I think generally that's true. You train up a child, you give them the right foundations, you're consistent in your life, you don't live with hypocrisy, you live and you train your children with the fear of God and his commands, that generally will be true, that they'll stay true to that. But are there exceptions? Oh, yes. There have been many people who are poor stewards of the blessings of their family. They were raised going to church, they read the Bible, their parents were consistent, they were not hypocritical, they were given all of the blessings And yet, at a certain point, they walked away from all of it and turned away from Jesus. Okay, this is a general truism, not not a uh, something that is to be understood universally. So, the the understanding there is that these are, as we speak of wisdom literature, things that we find to be generally true. Now, of course, the things that are about God and God's nature, we're going to see that those are absolutely true. But concerning human beings, uh, these give us general principles of life and people. What exactly is a proverb, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked because I have a full page of notes here to give you. The word proverb is a lot like love. And what I mean by that is the word love is a single word that's very broadly applied. Um, how many of you here... Love your spouse. Time for raising of hands, okay? How many of you here love your children? Good, good. Uh, How many of you here love pizza? Now, see, that doesn't really make sense. Because some of you raised your hands on all three times. Did the word there mean the exact same thing all three times? Well, for some... (laughs) So the word love in the English language is so broad because it means so many things, often it's relegated to meaning nothing. Proverb in the Hebrew language is a a word that can be broadly applied and mean different things, and we'll delve into it a little bit tonight because I know you're sitting on the edge of your pew just wondering, what what does it mean? Gather round, Sunday-nighters, I will attempt to explain. The Hebrew word is masal or mashal, as depending on the pronunciation that you read and study. Uh, and it simply means to have rule or dominion. Some scholars believe that this idea is one of the superiority or the conquering virtue of the wisdom needed to both form and appreciate a parable. The way I give my very simple explanation of that is, let's say... Uh, I don't know, 2020, is this an election year? I guess it is. There's not much, there's not much in the way of politics on Facebook, so I never see any of that. I understand in election years, occasionally they have debates, presidential, vice presidential, and uh, the two go back and forth, right? And in, in the process of the debate, each side is hoping for the, the moment. The moment is a line. It's a zinger. It's something It encapsulates what he's trying to say and rebut his opponent at the same time. And when you get the, if you get that line, boy, it's just, it, it's just going to go viral. It's going to be running all the news clips. I mean, it, the ideal thing is, is to have that moment when you win the debate and capture uh, the hearts of the people. That's Mashal. Wisdom, that's, I mean, when you sit and you hear somebody say something and you say, 
like, that's brilliant. That's Michal. Okay? That's, or that's the idea conveyed. It takes wisdom to form a parable, and it takes wisdom to fully appreciate a parable. Um, one Hebrew dictionary described the parable as superiority in mental action or the ingenious comparison of two things. This is what, what drew people to Jesus. He taught as one with authority, remember. That's Mashal. He taught as one with authority. When he taught people, listen, when Jesus was 12 years old, he was with the, probably some of the wise men debating and discussing this book, and they were amazed. That's Mashal. Some of the things that we know that Jesus said that were written down for our understanding stick with us today. Mashal. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's a picture that helps us understand. That's when we hear that, we go, ah, that's ingenious. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your, own brother, in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? That's mishal. That's, that's comparison of two things. It's, this is kind of like that. And Jesus does that perfectly. He taught using parables, illustrations, mishal. We see many other examples of mishal, including parables and proverbs and bywords and similitudes and poems and ethical wisdoms and ethical maxims. The, the, the root of all of this is that that kind of wisdom comes from God. That kind of wisdom has no other source, and certainly not its source in human beings. Um, if, uh, a couple of other interpretations of the word mishal. It can mean the word oracle. Uh, Numbers, Numbers chapter 23, verse uh, 5. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, thus you, you shall speak. The, the point is, <laughs> the what... What gave him that mashal was the Lord. It was the Lord who put the word there. Um, on a human side, who's, who's, called, who's known as the oracle? Anyone know? Who? Mashal. Good job. Uh, Warren Buffett is known as the oracle. Why? Because he's, he's had a, a, a lifetime of experience in investing and and nearly every investment he makes, the way that he does it, it seems to work. People pay uh, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a piece of his company, Berkshire Hathaway, just to get a part of the wisdom. That's why they call him the oracle. Now, that's not a spiritual example of all, but when you see somebody with that kind of success, you say, ah, that's superiority in mental action. The, the idea of a parable um, Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 2, if you're following along Old Testament and your thumb, thumbs are flipping through, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, propound a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. The parable, the oracle, the, the proverb, the poetry, all of that stems from God. Now, you can do it on a human level, but they're never as good. Uh, the short definition in the kindergarten class I think they use for parable is spiritual truth in earthly terms. Spiritual truth in earthly terms. That may seem easy to do, but it's harder than it seems. I'll give you a challenge tonight if, if you want to take it up. Try writing your own proverb. 
Try writing your own proverb that conveys a spiritual truth with an earthly meaning. It's harder than it looks. We read those things and we, and just the simplicity of them, the application, the trueness of them, we go, that's Michon. But it's harder than it seems. It's kind of like a calculus professor trying to teach a kindergarten class. Taking the godly wisdom and expressing it to human beings, to worms, is, is very challenging. And that's the idea behind wisdom literature. Truths that are easily remembered and universally applicable. In, in the non-spiritual sense, a couple of these. Early to bed, early to wise, early to wise. <sighs> that is non-mashal right there. Early to bed, early to rise makes a man. Okay. We understand that. That's a proverb. That's not a spiritual proverb. That's a general truism of life. Are there people who are unhealthy and unwealthy and unwise who get up early and go to bed early? Probably. But generally speaking, if you don't spend, you know, you know, stay up till 2 in the morning watching Netflix, and if you get up in an early enough part of the hour where you can plan the day and think ahead and achieve some goals, you're going to be healthier and wealthier and wiser. So another proverb that's not a spiritual one is more is caught than taught, meaning the power of your example is more important than the power of your words. Well, does it mean words are important? No, but are there times when people had a good example and didn't catch it? Sure, absolutely. In Proverbs, we will see all sorts of mashal, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's, it's a diamond that you're turning, and every time you turn it, it sparkles. It's done through contrast and observation, personification, command, figurative language, metaphors and similes, repetition, and humor. All sorts of mashal and many different forms. What's the purpose? What is the purpose of the proverb of these truths that are generally True, easily remembered, and universally applicable. Well, the purpose of it is right in the text. All wisdom is rooted in God, in the eternal wisdom and truth of our Creator. And the closer we get to God, the closer to truth and wis- and wisdom uh, we become. We get uh, the closer we get to God, the closer we get to truth and wisdom, and. If we'll apply it, the wiser we will become. The writers, and, and, and particularly in Sol- Solomon's case, because he lived this out, he extols the reader not just to be wise, but to seek God, who is the source of all wisdom. Now, you're looking for a verse. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Here is where we will begin. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealings. In righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise hear and increasing their learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, we'll stop there because it's my sermon and that's where I want to stop. That's the purpose. To help us learn and seek and desire wisdom. 
some of the I want to save that for next time. Next question. What, what topics are covered in proverb, Proverbs? And the answer is very simply lots. Lots and lots of Proverbs, topics covered in the Proverbs. And I, was, I tried to categorize all of them, and here's the list that I came up with. First is the nature of God and the nature of people. Wisdom and foolishness. Sin and righteousness, marriage and parenting, work and idleness, wealth and poverty, pride and humility, truth and falsehood, friends and enemies, speech and anger, self-control and self-discipline. You cannot open the book of Proverbs and read it sincerely, and not, I'm convinced, come into something that applies in your life, your marriage, your parenting, the news, the topics of the day, your business. Every area of life is covered in Proverbs. And the wisdom of approaching the book of Proverbs is not just reading it, but applying it. So, What do we think about all this and what do we do? Well, Proverbs is designed to be practical. I think wisdom, as we finish up the study in the book of James, I don't know if if it was taught in the Bible class, but uh, I had a college professor years ago say that the book of James is Jesus with blue jeans on. Jesus practicing, the brother of Jesus, telling us to practice what Jesus had commanded. Well, Proverbs is the same way. It's very, very practical. So I want to challenge you, and, and you will not find this series helpful if you don't intend to apply it. So here's what I would like to challenge you to do. I would like you to start doing a one-a-day in Proverbs. What I mean by that is pick the day, the date. Today is January 5th, and go to that chapter and read it, and meditate on it, and think about it. Now, some chapters, you know, it's, it's kind of one flowing thing. Some, it's several proverbs of many different topics. That's fine. One a day, 31 days in January. We're already four days behind. But just pick one a day. And then tomorrow, on the 6th of January, read this Proverbs chapter 6. And uh, on Tuesday, Proverbs chapter 7. You're getting it. Read one. And then of what you read, pick one. Read one, pick one. Read one, pick one. And think about, meditate on that proverb for the day. Write it down. Put it on your phone. uh, uh, Send yourself a reminder. Think about it at lunch. Talk about it with your family. Pray about it. I mean, really immerse your mind in the one proverb you pick. And, And there's a lot to choose from, so just pick one. Next Sunday night, starting next Sunday night, I want to have a fireside chat. What I mean by that is, after the final amen, you all will get up and disperse and talk as you usually do. And if you're so inclined, if you're a star student and you take the challenge seriously, what I want you to do is, after, 
after uh, the folks who take uh, of the Lord's Supper are dismissed, we'll gather in the fireside room. Now, I'm going to place a time limit on this. I'm going to place a time limit of 20 minutes. Okay? And I want you to come and share. This is not sermon part two. All I will be there to do is moderate the discussion. And the discussion will be, what did you learn from Proverbs this week, and how did you apply it? Okay? Now, I realize not everyone will do that. But if you're interested in doing something different on Sunday nights, uh, here's my, my challenge. So begin. Tonight, reading the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 5, read that throughout the week, and then if you are so inclined, as you pick these different Proverbs and think about them and pray about them and bring them into your world, I would like to discuss those with you for 20 minutes in the fireside room after service and after the folks uh, dismissed from partaking the Lord's Supper. We'll circle the chairs, whoever's there. Uh, if we have a lot of people, I'll put a time limit on, you know, I don't want any person dominating the discussion, but if you're there, that tells me you're there to participate. So we'll, we'll work out the logistics, but um, the, the whole picture of the running shoes is a big part of this series because I can talk at you for 30 or 40 minutes. You know I can do that, but that's not really where Proverbs gets good. Proverbs gets good when you begin to apply it, and I want to hear how you're applying it. So uh, that's your homework assignment for the week, and we will uh, begin next week by addressing the final question, which is, what is the point? And that is where we will get to next week. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. It is God's knowledge handed to us, given to us for our insight, for understanding, as much as we can understand it. Uh, the, the more that we apply it, the better we will do. Jesus, of course, was wisdom in the flesh. He taught with Michal. He taught in a way that people said, wow, this guy has something special. And uh, people who heard him say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Where did he get these things? Well, the answer was he got those things from God. As we consider God's wisdom, my question for you is, are you living that wisdom out in your life? Are you taking hold of the simple truths of God and begin to putting them into practice? If you need to put on Christ, if you need to step into new life, he taught how to do that. If you're in Christ, but you're living in sin, and you need to repent in a public way, he gave instructions on how to do that. If you need prayers of the congregation, if you need uh, encouragement from God's people, we're admonished in Scripture to do that for one another. If you have need in a public way where we can pray for you, with you, encourage you in some sort of way, meet me down front here on the front row and we'll help you in any way that we can. If you have a need, please come as together we stand and sing.